And uh, today we want to talk about one thing, one thing. If you have your Bible and want to turn, it's Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put the scripture uh, up on the screen as well. Uh, I want to uh, start by telling you a true story. It's about a, um, a baby boy that was born into a very prominent, wealthy uh, family. Uh, today, you know, if he was born today, his name would be Trump or Gates or something like that, all right? It was that kind of family that this young boy was born into. And very early in his life, this young boy showed exceptional uh, promise and willpower and determination. And I mean, he was just destined for success. Uh, he went to schools for the gifted. He had the uh, preeminent scholar uh, of his day for all of his graduate work. Uh, after schooling, after education, he got into politics and he was well on his way to becoming the richest and most powerful political leader in his nation. And then one day he gave it all up. He gave away his wealth, he gave away his power, he gave away his possessions. Why? Did he meet a girl? No. But he met someone. He met someone who opened his eyes to what truly mattered. And he met someone who opened his eyes to all the things he was living for that didn't matter. He got it. This, uh, that young man's name was Saul. And the person that Saul met that changed his life, has changed his passions, changed his priorities... It was Jesus. Now, Saul didn't want to meet Jesus. In fact, <laughs> the day they met, Saul was on horseback riding to a city to throw people he hated into prison, even though they'd done nothing wrong. Saul hated those people because they were Jesus followers, and he hated Jesus. But even though Saul hated Jesus, Jesus loved Saul, aren't you glad that Jesus loves people who don't love him? As Saul was spurring his horse on to further his political power and ambitions, a bolt of lightning blew him off the saddle. He, it threw him to the ground, and now he had broken bones and bleeding wounds and blind eyes. And as Saul's lying there on the ground, Jesus asked him a question, Saul, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Don't you know, Saul, that when you hate and persecute people, you're persecuting me because I created them and I love them? Saul, don't you understand that when you persecute others, you're persecuting yourself? You're poisoning your life with bitterness and hatred because you refuse to love others and love me? And you see, Saul, he didn't think Jesus was worth loving. And so do so many people. Jesus, ah, you know, old man lived 2,000 years ago. What's that got to do with me? Saul thought Jesus wasn't worth loving. But that day, Jesus showed Saul how wrong he was. Friend, Jesus loved us enough to die for our place, in our place. 
How stupid to not love a God like that that loves us with a love we can't even comprehend. And you see, he met Jesus, and, and Jesus woke him up. Saul thought he had it all. And that brings us now to what he writes about in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. Now he tells us why he did those things and why Jesus changed his life. Philippians chapter 3 verse 5, he said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Now, in his Jewish nation, if you didn't do that, you were nobody. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. No impurity in me. I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin, the most respected of all the tribes, the most exclusive. I was a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. That's like being a member of Congress today, okay? The rulers of the nation. And you see, Saul, he, he came from the right family. He had the right education. He had the right job. He had all the right connections. Philippians 3 is, is a testimony of this man who realized that he didn't have it all right. He had it all wrong. Verse 7, I once thought all these things to my credit in my life. I thought they were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done for me. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value See, there's the contrast. Worthless versus infinite value. And what will we give ourselves to? He said, everything else in my life was worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Saul had it all. And he was wrapped up in all kinds of things. And when he met Jesus, he realized he was wrapped up in all the things that were worthless. Now, why would God knock this man off his horse, break his bones, make his eyes blind? Is God cruel like that? No. You know the old saying, you know, sometimes you have to hit a, use a two-by-four to get someone's attention? Yeah. God isn't cruel. He's loving. That was the only way that Saul would wake up and realize that compared to knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, everything that he had was worthless. Who was one in Saul's life? Saul. He finally saw how worthless that was. So what did he do? Verse 8. He continues his testimony for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake. I discarded all those other things, counting it all as garbage, so that I may gain Christ and become one with him. Saul had made himself one. He realized he needed to make Jesus number one, to become one with him. Saul called all these things now, the right family, the right education, the right job, the right connections, the uh, uh, massive wealth, uh, uh, plenty of power, success, reputation. What do you say? He says, they're garbage. Now, what do you do with your garbage? Take it out to the curb, right? And then someone picks it up. 
and hopefully you got it out on the right day. Or hopefully you got it out before 7.30 when they came and it didn't sit there all day. Okay, that's what you do. You see, we, do, we don't think much about the garbage. We just take it out to the curb. Now, what did they do with garbage, with their garbage in, uh, Paul's, in Saul's day? They burned it. They burned it. See, otherwise it would rot. It would putrefy. It would draw mag maggots. It would breed disease. Now, that word is also the word for dung. You may have a translation that you're reading today, and, it's, and it says dung. And you see, that's the reality that that's exactly what they did with dung also. They burned it. Why? So it wouldn't rot, so it wouldn't putrefy, so it wouldn't make their family sick and die. Saul chose that word. He chose that word garbage or dung that had to be burned to wake us up. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13, he tells us why. Because on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. What's God saying? That all the things we can give ourselves to here on earth, they're, they're going to be judged. And the point is, is there anything of eternal value in them? Because if not, they'll be burned up as garbage. What, are you, what will you do this week? How much of it will be burned up? Because it, it doesn't matter. And if you turn it, how much of it will be burned up because it has no value or eternal worth? Saul thought he had it all. And Jesus showed him he had nothing that would pass through the fire. Saul lived for himself. Paul, see his name was changed. God changed his name. Why? Because he became a new man. Saul lived for himself. Paul lived for Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. Saul thought money and pleasure and things and stuff and knowing the right people and having the right power, he thought all those things would make him fulfilled. Paul discovered that the only person that can fulfill us is our creator and our coming king. Paul lost all the things he was consumed with, his job. No longer a Pharisee, no longer a member of the Sanhedrin, a powerful ruling party. He lost his reputation. He lost his money. He lost his achievements. And, you know, when we hear about someone losing all that, we think, oh, that's so sad. You know, boy, I sure hope that doesn't happen to me. Have you ever realized that one day you will lose all those things? Your job, your house, your possessions pleasures your earthly pleasures one day we give them all up and you see paul would say i didn't really lose them i didn't really lose my job my house my reputation my money my hobbies he traded them in he traded them in for the one thing the one thing of eternal value and so so 
what is Paul saying to us? What's God saying to you and to me here today? In, in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, what Paul said, I focus on one thing. I focus on one thing. On Wednesday, as Donna and I were getting ready to leave for the day, you know, Donna said, uh, uh, what's your sermon on this week? And I said, one thing. She said, what's that mean? I said, what Paul said, I focus on one thing. You know what she said? That's un-American. <laughs> we don't focus on one thing. We multitask. We have many things. We have many priorities. We have many pleasures. We have many activities. We have many instead of one. And you see, that's fine if there are many things in your life that you have to give your attention to. You have to go to work. You have to take care of your family. Those things. But you see, the problem is if you want it all, you're going to crowd out the most important thing of all. If you're going to fill your life with just every desire and everything, every passion that you can think of, you just crowd out the top one, number one. Have you ever thought about the fact that when Jesus, when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, he said, there's one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Make that your one, your top priority. Because see, if your top priority is the right priority, then all the other priorities will be in their proper place. One. If we don't get the right one, one, then everything else in our life is going to be out of sync. What should be our one thing? What does Paul say? Verse 14. Here's my one thing. Here's the one thing. I press on to reach the end of the race. In high school, I ran hurdles. And I remember one <coughs> track meet. It was an invitational meet, so there were many teams there, and it was big and important, kind of, you know, at the end of the season kind of thing. And I was running the hurdles. And uh, I wanted to win. The problem was that my own teammate two lanes down. Uh, his name was Kent Merritt, and he ran a sub-10 100 meters. Uh, he got a scholarship in college to play both football and run track. Uh, he was drafted by the New Orleans Saints as a running back. How was I going to beat this guy? The only thing I could think of was, I have to get the best, you know, break his leg, but that wouldn't be good. <laughs> the only fair thing that I could do was get a better start than he did. So I listened to the uh, race starter, the guy with the gun all day. I got his timing down. And so when I got in the blocks, and he said, take your mark, Set, 
I was timing. I had the most fantastic start. In fact, I was probably cheated and started too soon, but he didn't call it. And <laughs> after two hurdles, I was still in the lead. The problem was there were eight more to go. <laughs> and guess who won? It wasn't me. Paul said, I press on to reach the end of the race. Friend, the world values who's out front right now. At the beginning. At the time that it really doesn't matter. God rewards those who are right where they should be following Jesus Christ, his son, when he comes back again at the end of the race. What's your one? Is it to reach the end of the race right beside Jesus and let him put the crown on your head? He goes on. I press on to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What's the only thing that matters forever? The heavenly prize. What's your one? See, Jesus opens our eyes so we see that it's not the prizes that the world gives us now. It's the prize that God will give us then in his kingdom forever. Jesus opens our eyes to see it's not what we own. It's that God owns it all. And he gives it to us to richly enjoy and to use to help others find Jesus. Jesus opens our eyes to see it's not what I've done, all my accomplishments. It's what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for me and what he's going to do when he comes back for us. It, Jesus opens our eyes to see it's not what's temporary, what's the right now, right here today. It's what's eternal. And he opens our eyes to see that it's not earthly stuff or success. It's our eternal riches and God's rewards. We Americans, we want to climb the ladder of success, don't we? We want to climb the ladder of prosperity. But if money is our number one, if our possessions are our number one, if our achievements, our success, whatever it is, you know what, friend? We're going to climb that ladder to the top and find out it was leaning against the wrong wall. And there is no reward. I focus on one thing, Paul writes. And that's what those who want to be great with God do. King David, same, same expression, same thing he said. King David was rich. He was powerful. He, he could have anything he wanted. And what did he say about his number one in Psalm chapter 27? He, has had, he said, I'm asking God for what? For one thing. What's that one thing? Live forever? Be the most powerful king in the world? Be the richest person in the world? Have the greatest? No, I ask for one thing, only one thing, to live with him, God, in his house my whole life, not just in eternity, right now, my whole life long. I want to contemplate on the beauty and majesty and excellence and perfection of you, God, I want to study you and your word and learn more and more of you every day. 
God, you're my one thing, my only thing. See, David found out what was important too. Being close to God here on earth and being with Jesus forever. Are we like David? Are we like Paul? Is Jesus the one thing? Do we read his word? Do we spend time in prayer talking to him? Do we think about him? Do we plan our life according to his plan for us? Do we want to get closer to God? Or are we just trying to keep him at arm's length? For fear he might ask us to do something we don't want to do. What's your one? What's your one? What's the thing that you're most passionate about? Thing you love to talk about? Is it, you know, food? It is for some of us. Is it family? Is it football? Now you came today and you might think football's our number one. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what we're talking about, okay? Now, and, and on uh, February 5th, we're going to have football Sunday, all right? Are we worshiping football? No. You know, that can be a great outreach day. That day, uh, if you bring somebody who doesn't know the Lord, you know, they're going to hear some testimonies from people who, athletes who do. You know, it could change their life, you know? What's, what's, what are you most passionate about? And, you know, the, if, if you asked uh, 100 Americans, what's most important? I think almost every one of us would say, well, God, family, job. You know, that's kind of like the stock answer, okay? Well, is that true? You know, we, we don't bow down to wooden or stone idols in America like they do in many countries, but we Americans have many idols, don't we? So many things we can put ahead, make number one in our life. I know the things I can worship. Uh, one of my idols is sports. I know I can easily spend 20 hours a week watching, you know, games and reading the reports and all that kind of thing. Thing, thinking about my favorite team, okay? If, if, what's your number one? The thing that you just get really excited about. The thing that when you see a friend, what do you talk about? What's your number one? What would, what would your spouse say is your number one? They probably know. What's your number one? Money? Children? Grandchildren? Ah. Uh, Maybe you're saying, oh, well, I know, but Paul, King David, I mean, you know, they were spiritual giants and all that kind of thing. You know, they weren't ordinary people. They weren't ordinary people like me. Well, let's talk about some ordinary people here today. Mary and Martha. And you probably know their story. Jesus came to their house, and uh, they were going to have a dinner party uh, for him. That's what they did uh, for entertainment in those days. If you had a special guest, well, you had dinner, and you invited invited a lot of people and even those you didn't invite in town they still came and stood outside and watched because there was nothing else to watch all right so jesus is coming to their house and and uh you know the story now let me just ask you for those of you who do now when jesus came to their house where did mary go she went to be with jesus she sat down right in front of him okay in those days, they sat, or actually they reclined. 
She just got as close as she could. Why? Because she wanted to hear what he had to say. Because she loved him. Because Jesus was the most important thing in her life. So Mary, where did she go? She went to Jesus' feet. Where did Martha go? She went to the kitchen, all right? She was in charge of the meal, okay? And she had a real gift, and she did a fantastic job. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to the kitchen. There's nothing wrong with work, is there? Unless it's just what becomes more important to us than the Lord. I mean, you know, she had days to prepare, okay? And she could have gone and sat at Jesus' feet alongside her sister and regarded him then as the priority rather than the meal. How do we know that? You see, again, there's, somebody's got to be in the kitchen. Somebody's got to prepare the meals. We all have to work. There's nothing wrong with work. And that was her gift. But what did Jesus say to her? Jesus said to Martha, few things are needed. And right now, only one thing, only one thing. And Mary has chosen what's better. And that's what he encouraged her to do. Now, here's another question. Okay, we talked about Mary and Martha. Where did Lazarus go? The Bible doesn't tell us. Where do you think he went? Did he go out in the garage, work on his car? Or a camel? Or whatever, okay. <laughs> Did he go outside and cut the lawn? Did he go to work? Did he go in the TV room and watch the game? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Revelation 3.20 says this. Jesus is talking, and he says, Behold, I am standing at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. I want to come into your life. I want to be your life. I, see, I'm not going, I don't want to come into your life to make you miserable. I don't want to come into your life to take things away that you enjoy. I want to come in to be your one thing, your top priority, so that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. God's number one to you. And then everything else will fall into its proper place. I love you. I want you to love me. Then you'll really live. Jesus stands at the door of our heart and he's knocking. He does that every day. That verse was written not to uh, those who weren't Christians. It was written to those who are. I believe every day Jesus is at our heart's door knocking, wanting to come in and be the one thing. Jesus wants to spend time with you, do life with you. So where are we? Uh, working or watching TV like Lazarus? In the kitchen like Martha? Or listening and talking to Jesus like Mary? Mary. King David. Paul. What was their one thing? Jesus. They found out that all the other stuff in life they were going to lose one day. And they wanted what they'd never lose. The Lord, the one who saves us from the death of our sins. He deserves to be number one. And when we make him our one thing, we'll never regret it. What's your one? Let it be Jesus.
who's your one? That's maybe a better question. You see, because, you know, I think a lot of us, we don't put things ahead of the Lord, but it's easy to put people ahead of the Lord. Like our family and our spouse or our friends. God wants us to love people, but not make them our idols. Let Jesus be your one thing, so that then every other thing is in its proper place and brings joy and fulfillment to our life because the Lord is where he should be as the Lord of our life. Here at Alliance, we have a core value that we want to take the next step. You know, it's so easy just to come and hear a sermon and, and even agree with it, but don't do anything about it. No, God wants us to be doers of the word, to take a step. What's the next step God wants you to take to make Jesus your one? Is it give him, schedule a time every day that you're going to meet with the Lord? You don't have to schedule it because it won't happen if you don't. Is it uh, join a small group so that you meet with other Christians? You're probably not going to grow unless you do that. But when we meet with each other and encourage each other, the Bible tells us, and so much more as you see the day approaching of Christ's return, that's when we grow. Is it to start serving in a ministry and just instead of just coming and sitting in a pew? What's your next step? What's your next step to make Jesus your one thing, the thing about which all of your life should flow? I press on, Paul said. Because I want that prize. I want to hear God say, well done. I want to be with Jesus all the days of my life, today and every day throughout all of eternity. Because he's number one. Shall we pray? Oh God. We live in a country where there are so many things for us to give our time and attention and money and affection to. We have so many privileges. And dear Lord, I I doubt that there's anybody here today who would say, well, I don't want Jesus in my life. I don't want him to be important. But dear Lord, it's so easy just to crowd him out all the other things of life. And we want to be like Paul. We want to be able to say, I'm, I'm, I focus on one thing, and that's Jesus. We want to be like David, who says, there's only one thing I truly desire, only one thing, and that's the Lord to be in his presence. Let us be like Mary, who when there are tons of other things around us to do, we know the most important thing that we could do is to be with Jesus. Help us, God. Friend, maybe today you're kind of thinking, this is really weird. I mean, you know, being a Christian is you go to church every every once in a while and you be a good person. No. A Christian, a Christ one, is one who knows Christ and follows him. A Savior is their Savior and their Lord. And you see, God wants you in his heaven. So I sent his son to this earth. He wants you because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to go to your own kingdom. He wants you to come to his. 
And the only way you can get there is by following the Son. And if you've never done that, if you've never accepted Christ your Savior and your Lord, do it today. Because God loves you so much. God loves you so much. Now, Father, please help us. Please help. We all struggle with this. There are just so many other things that we often neglect the one thing. Oh, God, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Because this life is too short and eternity is too long <laughs> to have wasted it all on something that will be burned up, that won't pass through the fire of judgment, God. We want to focus on that one thing. And we need to because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again. He's going to return. And, and like we sang earlier, we, we want to worship Him. We want to praise Him all the days of our life and forever and ever. And so, God, would you help us do that? May our lives be a testimony of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so great, so awesome, who offers us His life. Thank you, God. I know you'll help us do this. I know you'll help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's sing. Let's praise him. to focus on the one thing. Not the many things, but the one thing.